before we start our message, uh, have a little prayer. May the words of our mouth and the heart and meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord. Amen. The cost of discipleship. In most cases, joining a church is a pretty easy process. You walk the aisle or fill out a card or maybe take a few classes and you're in. But sometimes I'm afraid that our zeal to attract new members to church, we've made it a little too easy to get in and, the process, and in the process we have abandoned some of our principles. Discipleship established by our Lord. I know when I joined the church, Cherry had a whole lot to do with that. Uh, when I started dating her in college, she said, you're going to church and there's no ifs, ands, or buts, or, you know, <laughs> that's it. And I can say all that because she's not here today. <laughs> but I know that uh, during my six weeks of uh, classes, I didn't learn anything. I've learned things over the years, just uh, coming and listening to the different preachers and things like that. But I know it was pretty easy for me to get in and probably... They shouldn't have let me in to start with. But when Jesus walked this earth, he expected those who followed him to take it seriously. He made it clear that there were some requirements involved for those who wanted to follow him. He was not interested in attracting new members for a club. He was looking for sold-out, radically committed disciples. There are many occasions in the Gospels where Jesus challenged would-be followers to make a serious, not a half hearted commitment. There's cost of discipleship, and those who wish to be disciples must be willing to pay for it. There's no greater example of this than the story of the rich young ruler. This story, this story clearly defines the three requirements involved in the cost of discipleship. The first requirement for being disciples is that we must confront the truth about Jesus Christ. When the, good, when the rich young ruler approached Jesus, calling him good teacher. Notice what Jesus says in response. Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. What is Jesus saying? Is he saying that he is not good? Of course not. This would contradict the Bible's most basic teaching about Jesus. And it contradicts what Jesus said about himself. He isn't saying, I'm not good. He is saying, however, I'm not interested in lip service. Don't call me good unless you're ready to call me God. There is a tendency among non-Christians to dismiss Jesus as simply a good teacher and nothing more. You've heard it before. Jesus was a good man, even a great moralist, but I don't believe that he is God or the only way to God. C.S. Lewis addressed this type of thinking in his book, Mere Christianity. He writes, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher, he would be a lunatic, or else he would be the devil from hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut up, you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him, and you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great teacher. He has not left that option open to us. In order to be a disciple, you must confront the truth about Jesus Christ. This means admitting that he is Lord. Even though Christians are ready to acknowledge this with their lips, many times our lives indicate something else. <coughs> 
We try to limit the level of involvement Christ has in our lives. We may be willing to embrace him as Savior, but we aren't ready to accept him as Lord. Again, this is not an option that he's left open to us. We cannot experience Jesus as our Savior unless we also accept him as our Lord. As you've learned so many preachers say, Jesus must be Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Accepting Jesus as Lord means that we commit ourselves to obedience. Jesus said in Luke 6, verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not and do not do what I tell you? And also in John 14, verse 15, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Imagine a man proposing to his sweetheart by saying, Honey, I love you and I want to marry you. I'll take good care of you. I'll provide. I'll be a good father to your children. All I ask is that you allow me a few days a year for the other woman. Is there, any, is there anyone who would accept such an offer? Not at my house. <laughs> Likewise, it is wrong for us to act as though Jesus would accept an offer of part-time discipleship. In order to be a disciple, we must first confront the truth about Jesus. He is Lord, and our lives must reflect that. The second requirement for discipleship is that you must confront the obstacles that stand between you and God. Jesus said to the young ruler in verse 21, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. The obstacle that stood between the rich young ruler and God was money. Maybe it's the same for you, or maybe it's power, success, sex, selfishness, football, your car, or any number of other things. Whatever the obstacle, it must be confronted and eliminated. There are two things to consider about this requirement. The first requirement stems from God's love for us. Notice what the Bible says here in verse 21. Jesus looking at him, loved him, and said, you lack one thing. Jesus loved this man too much to allow him to be casually religious. He loved him enough to expect the rich young ruler to be absolutely dedicated. Two, the requirement is non-negotiable. When the rich young ruler walked away, Jesus didn't call him back saying, Wait a minute, maybe I was a little hasty. Let's see if we can work something out that you can live with. Jesus stated the conditions. The rich young ruler couldn't give up his attachment to money, and so... Sadly, that was the end of it. Like many of you, I have learned that in the automobile business, as in many other industries, the asking price is not always the selling price. Jesus doesn't do business this way. His asking price is non-negotiable. What is it that stands between you and absolute commitment to Jesus? Whatever it is, it must be eliminated. God will not lower his standards. Your only other option is to go the way of the rich young ruler. These are hard words, but I love you too much to tell you anything but the truth. If you're willing to pay the price, though, there's no limit to what God can accomplish in your life. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, was once asked the secret of his dynamic Christian life. His response was, I told the Lord that he could have all that there is of William Booth. The third requirement for being a disciple of Jesus Christ is that you must confront your absolute need for God's grace. You 
see, if you're harboring the idea in the back of your mind that this is something you deserve, that God is lucky to have you on his team, then you're actually very far from the kingdom of God. The truth is that you are helpless without God's grace. Listen to Jesus' words. How hard, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When he made these statements, Jesus was challenging popular Jewish thought. Common belief in that era was that wealth was a sign of God's blessing. Jews believed that if anyone was going to heaven, it would certainly be the rich. This new teaching of Jesus shocked the disciples, and they asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus said in verse 27, With man it is impossible, but not for God, for God, or with God all things are possible. There's a story about a young man who died and went to heaven. When he got to the pearly gates, St. Peter told him his life would be reviewed and his good deeds would be added up. He had to earn a thousand points to get into heaven. The man said, that should be, should be easy. I've taught Sunday school every Sunday for 40 years. Peter said, okay, that's worth one point. The man was a little surprised and then said, I was faithful and loving husband as well as a dedicated and nurturing father. Peter said, okay, that's worth one point. The man was becoming concerned. He said, I tithe my income. Peter said, okay, that's worth one point. Now the man was really getting worried. He said, I was an elder in my church and served on the leadership board. Peter said, that's worth half a point. After the man had gone through his entire list of good things he had ever done, he only had 12 points. Finally, in exasperation, he said, I give up. The only way a guy could get in here is by the grace of God. Peter said, that's worth a thousand points. We cannot allow ourselves to become even. We cannot allow ourselves to believe, even for a moment, that we are worthy of the goodness and mercy that God has bestowed on us. Our hope must be built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. The requirements for discipleship are tough. In fact, they're more than you can possibly pay. Without the grace of God giving you strength day to day, you'll never make it. Maybe some of you are familiar with the Bill Gaither song. Something beautiful, something good, all my confusion he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful in my life. Our lives, at best, are full of nothing but brokenness. But God's grace has the power to take our weakness and develop us into strong disciples. The cost of discipleship is that you take your relationship with God seriously. It's not just a a one-day-a-week event. It is an ongoing process that is the core of your every thought and action. It takes serious commitment. Two brothers from New York decided that they were fed up with city life, so they bought a ranch in Texas. They realized they needed a mule, so they went to a neighbor's ranch and if he went to a neighbor's ranch and asked if he had one to sell. The rancher didn't have a mule for sale, but he couldn't resist the opportunity to have some fun with the boys. He pointed to a honeydew melon and said, I don't have a full-grown mule, but I have some of these mule eggs. <laughs> Take this egg home, in a couple of days, when it hatches, you'll have a brand new mule. The New Yorkers were thrilled to hear this, so they bought the melon, placed it on the back of their truck, and headed down the bumpy road toward their ranch. 
They were almost home when they hit a bump, and the melon bump bounced off the back of a pickup, hit the road, and burst open. The driver saw this through the rear, rearview mirror and turned around to retrieve the mule leg. Meanwhile, a big Texas jackrabbit came hopping by and saw the melon in the road. He hopped over and began to eat it. When the brothers saw, they, saw their mule leg in the, in the road and the long-eared creature in the middle of it and said, Look, our mule leg is hatched. Let's get it. When the jackrabbit saw the men coming, it took off hopping at lightning speed with the two New Yorkers in hot pursuit. <laughs> they gave everything they had, but were unable to catch him. Finally, they hit the ground, exhausted as the jackrabbit hopped off in the distance. One of the men said, I guess we lost our mule. The other man said, yes, but you know, I'm not sure I wanted to plow that fast anyway. <laughs> Now that's the kind of commitment discipleship takes. You have to be ready for some fast plowing. You see, the cost of discipleship is this. You must be willing to do things God's way. He sets the standards, not you. He sets the pace, not you. He makes up the rules, not you. You must be willing to do things God's way. This means trusting Jesus and the Lord of your life, being willing to eliminate all the obstacles in your way, and trusting completely in his grace and his grace alone to save you, this is the cost of discipleship. Here ends the message.